Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris every week as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. Now back with me and making his sixth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mr. Gary Player. You all know Mr. Player has won nine major championships, three Masters, three Open Championships, two PGA Championships, and one U.S. Open. He was the third player to win the modern-day Grand Slam at the age of 29. He came after Ben Hogan and Gene Sarazen. Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods would later join him. As a golf architect, he has over 325 design projects on five different continents. He's authored or co-authored 36 golf books. He played in 52 consecutive Masters tournaments, which is a record. At the age of 80, he made a hole-in-one in the Masters Par 3 contest, his fourth ace in that event, which is also a Masters record. And I am honored to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hello, Mr. Player. Thanks for coming back on the show again this year. Very well, Chris. Okay. Let her rip. <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Player, last year I asked you about the longevity that you and Mr. Nicholas had with uh, winning majors versus the short time span that Mr. Palmer had winning his. And, you know, you won majors over a span of 20 years. Mr. Nicholas did it over 25 years, while Mr. Palmer only did it over a six-year period of time. When When people talk about you know, who are the greatest players of all time are. Does the longevity that you had winning majors get overlooked? Longevity, you know, if you buy a motor car and it only lasts two years, uh, you don't think too much of it. So, you know, you buy a BMW or a Mercedes or something like that, and it lasts a long time because the Germans are so good, you feel good. And I think people, a man like Sam Sneed, it's debatable whether he isn't the greatest player that ever lived. It's debatable. But obviously, uh, I'm inclined to think that Jack Nicklaus has been. Tiger Woods, had he not encountered his difficulties in life, he would have turned out to be the best. But you cannot talk about ifs and ands. Uh, but longevity to me, when I'm judging the best players that ever lived, I certainly, that's one thing I really take into consideration. Yes. And in talking about some of the players from back in your era, you know, people don't bother. Today, everything in society is about what happened right now, and everyone's sort of stuck on Tiger Woods. But people don't bother to read about Ben Hogan and Sam Snead, Byron Nelson, or even Bobby Jones. And, and I was curious to get your thoughts, Mr. Player. Where do you think Bobby Jones ranks, not only for winning the Grand Slam in 1930, but for the 285 that he shot at St. Andrews in the 27 Open Championship? I think Bobby Jones, it's quite possible. It's quite possible. It's always difficult to compare people with different eras. In fact, it's impossible. But Bobby Jones conceivably could have been the best player that ever lived. His golf swing, I was looking at it the other day on a video, it is absolutely perfect. But remember, when he played, they didn't even change the cups during the tournament. And when he played, they raked the bunkers with their feet. And the spike marks were all over the green. And they had no grooves on the clubs. And they went by greyhound bus or an old car to a golf tournament. <laughs> Bobby Jones had one of the most incredible golf swings. And yet, if he went to some of the teachers of today, they changed his swing. Just as Tiger Woods, the start of Tiger Woods' problem was when he won the U.S. Open by 15 shots. Not five, 15. 
And the next week he's having a lesson from somebody. And then a little while later he's having another lesson from somebody else. And those were very good teachers. But those two guys couldn't break. They couldn't break 80 at Augusta off the back tees. No chance. So why he never went? But first of all, why did he even bother to go for a lesson? Had he never been to another lesson after he won the US Open by 15 shots, he would have been down as the greatest player that ever lived and he would have won at least 20 majors, I think. But ifs and ands do not count. It's what goes down on the paper, how you judge people. Not by whether he was charismatic, an icon, this or that, this or that. It's what goes down on the paper. And uh, Bobby Jones had a phenomenal record, phenomenal swing. He and Sam Sneed swung the club very similar manner. And I'm such a big fan of both of theirs. But, you know, Nicholas has got the most majors. I think I can sit here and say I have the best world record. By that, I mean around the world, South Africa, Australia, Brazil, Japan, China, South Africa, England, everywhere around the world. I, I achieved more than anybody else did around the world, which was my dream to do that because I'd had dinner with President Eisenhower as a young man who I admired greatly. And he said, you know, we are, America is a global society. And uh, I thought, well, I've got to be a global player. If you're going to talk about being one of the best players in the world, you've got to do that. Byron Nelson never went down as one of my best players in the world because he didn't win play tournaments all over the world. And he, and he played for a very young age and he won all his tournaments when Hogan and Sneed were at war. So he never went down as one of my uh, really superstars. I think to be judged as a superstar, you've got to win, in my humble opinion, six majors. He only won five. So there are lots of players that won more majors than, uh, than Byron Nelson. However, Sam Sneed and Ben Hogan, they went over to play in the British Open, won it. Sam Sneed was a tremendous player, won tournaments all over the world, and Hogan went one time and won. So I admired that tremendously. But you must remember about Ben Hogan and Sam Sneed. In their primes, they had to go to war for five years. Imagine telling Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods in their prime that they had to go to war for five years. I mean, you know, you can't conceive that. They wouldn't have won anywhere near the majors they'd won. If Ben Hogan, he went to war for five years, he did have an automobile accident. So in his prime, he never played in 28 majors. Think about that. It's like Rod Laver, Rod Laver, the tennis player. He was not allowed as a professional to play in amateur tournaments. In other words, he was not allowed to play in the Grand Slam of today. He won two Grand Slams and was barred from playing in the Grand Slam events for five years. How good would he have been if he was not barred? So there are a lot of things to consider, aren't there? Indeed. And, and Mr. Player, you're the first one to win the career Grand Slam on both tours, the regular PGA Tour and now the Champions Tour. Where do you think that feat ranks amongst golf accomplishments? I think the greatest achievement I ever had in my career is definitely winning the senior Grand Slam, not the regular Grand Slam. There are five of us that won the regular Grand Slam, but they all try to win the senior Grand Slam, and I'm the only one that's done it. And the reason that I did it, Chris, because at 50, I was almost in equal shape as I was when I was 25. And I'm now 82, and I still, I still average 72, 10 shots better than my age. Some days I shoot 69, 66, other days I shoot 73, but I beat my age every single day 
I must have done it. Well, I must have done it for at least 2,000, uh, maybe 2,000 times now. I don't know. So, uh, and I'm keeping in shape. I'm still, the other day I pushed 380 pounds with my legs. I run the treadmill at max. I do thousands of sit-ups. And uh, as I say, I run the treadmill at max. So, and I try and watch what I eat. I try and rest well. So golf is an amazing game. I won a tournament on the, on the American, on this American tour at 63 years of age. You know, at other sports, you finished at 30 average. Golf has been very kind to me. I'm very grateful for what golf has done for me. I never forget to say a prayer every day of my life to say thank you. Mr. Player, two of my favorite golf books are both ones that you've written. Don't Choke and Gary Player's Black Book. I think Don't Choke should be required reading, particularly for junior players, because in it you talk about the power of the mind. Talk about why it's so important, not only in this game, but in life to have a strong mind. I wish more young guys who started out to play golf and parents would buy that book for these juniors, because it really is, really, if I may say, a very good book to help them in their lives. And we... You know, I saw a man like Tom Weisskopf, who's a better golfer than Jack Nicklaus, but he only won one major on each tour. He often said to me he hated golf, and it was a shame because this man was phenomenal. But I've seen so many good players in my life. They play well, and they don't play as well as they should do. Guys haven't reached the heights that they should. They haven't won as many majors as they should, according to their ability. The mind, we haven't scratched the surface of the mind. And one of the things that really frustrates me, mainly on the golf channel, they are golf pros, the, the commentators are telling you how bad basically heavyweight trading is. And here's Rory McElroy. Look at what he's doing today. He's playing phenomenal golf. Look at Tiger Woods. He played phenomenal golf when he was the most pumped up at weight trading you ever saw in your life. So, I mean, I don't know where they get this from. Dustin Johnson. I mean, all these pros. I've been lifting weights for 65 years. And if I never, I wouldn't be playing well. And they are actually putting people off by doing weights. Even Johnny Miller said on the television the other day, oh, Rory would have done much better had he not lifted these heavy weights. How much better can the man done? He's won three majors already. He's got a chance to win the Grand Slam this week. What are they talking about? Every single athlete in the world almost does weights today. Even people that are doing chess. I mean, athletes, sprinters, they're all lifting weights. Did you see uh, Usain Bolt? Do you watch these guys? Gay, all these guys, how they lift weights. All these athletes today are lifting. I mean, I just it just really disappoints me when I see them. And young guys are being put off. You know that Rory McIlroy deadlifts almost 300 pounds? And you saw Tiger, man, alive. And Tiger said to me the other night in the locker room, you know, I've had three back operations. If I never did these weight trading, that I wouldn't be playing today. So it's very disappointing for me to hear these commentators talking about a subject that, quite honestly, they don't do anything. And, Mr. Player, you, as you mentioned, Tom Weisskopf, and he, along with Lee Trevino, never won at Augusta National, though Weisskopf finished second four times. And it appears to me, and you would know better because you were there, you know, for some reason it seemed like Lee Trevino convinced himself that he couldn't win 
at Augusta National. And Weisskopf did seem like there was a confidence or something preventing him from getting over the hump there. Is, is that what it was? Was it the mind, something going on internally within their minds, or was it something else that prevented them from being a, a Masters champion? No question about Lee Trevino, because the best striker of a ball that I ever saw was Ben Hogan. And Lee Trevino is in the top three best I've ever seen at striking a ball. Now, striking a ball isn't scoring, but from tee to green, I never saw anybody, very few people better than Trevita. He spoke himself out of winning Augusta. And I played practice rounds with him when he came to Augusta, and he was gone. I, I, knew, I, I, I was surprised he ever made the cut because he just spoke himself out of it. And it was just ridiculous because he was so good. No, I, you know, we haven't scratched the surface of the mind, of the body, and the other thing is, we haven't scratched the mind of eating correctly. You know that in the greatest country in the world, the United States of America, not even 3% of people exercise and eat properly. Can you imagine? So this is an important fact in eating, in professional athletes. You've got to learn to eat properly. I mean, sugar is one of the greatest detriments to an athlete. Uh, there's so many things you've got to lay off. You've got to watch the way you eat. You can't be eating high fat, high sugars, too many carbs, lack of it, lack of laughter, lack of a happy marriage. All these things go to be making a champion. And we're still in our infancy. We're going to see people come out and play golf here one day. I'm telling you, we're going to see things that you've never seen in your life before. We're going to see a, a LeBron James play golf, a Michael Jordan. They're going to hit the ball 420 yards. Last week, or the week before, uh, Bubba Watson hit a drive 489 yards. 489 yards. They're hitting seven irons and eight irons to the par five here at Augusta. What is going to happen? They've got to slow the ball down. People are spending lots of money lengthening the golf courses. We're running out of water in the world. Let me give you an example. My brother was the leading conservationist in the world. You go to a restaurant, you sit down, they put water in your glass, whether you want it or not. They don't even ask you. You drink it and some don't drink it. The ones who do drink it, they turn the back and the waiter fills the glass again. Everybody leaves the restaurant. Probably, well, probably, I don't know, 250 million glasses of water a day remain on the table. And that's for three meals a time. And then they take the glass and they throw the water down the drain and then they wash the glass with water again. So for every glass of water, four glasses are being consumed, basically. And really, the world is running out of water big time. Mr. Player, just a couple of more before we let you go. And this is the 40th anniversary of your victory back in 1978. And there was something coincidental about the number 42 that year. It was the 42nd Masters Tournament. You were 42 years of age, and you shot 42 over the last 12 holes, including 30 on the back nine, coming from seven strokes back to overtake Hubert Green, Tom Watson, and Rod Funseth that year. Became the oldest Masters champion at the time. Where does that rank amongst your wins? Well, to come back in uh, 30 at Augusta, and very easily could have been, very, very easily could have been 27 because on three occasions I was within an eighth of the inch of uh, going in the hole. And I'm, luckily enough, I didn't shoot 27 because if I did, they would have never invited me back. 
But uh, <laughs> no, that was uh, that was a, a, a very gratifying tournament. And the one thing I've always been, Chris, I've always been very grateful for all my accomplishments. Very grateful indeed. And uh, so uh, anytime you win here, it's tough to win. It's a tough golf course. And, uh, you know, I get so tired, Chris, of hearing these commentators. All they talk about, how far this man hits the ball. What a beautiful swing. But nothing to do with a beautiful swing. Long hitting is not the answer. Look at Jordan's feet. He really isn't all that good from tee to green. But my goodness me, he's a wonderful young man, great for the game, well-behaved, and is one of the greatest players that ever lived from 100 yards in. And that's what wins tournaments. Can't people see this? You see it on television. The other day I watched him play. He must have missed eight greens, plus minus, and chips and putts, chips and putts, bunker shots and putts, puts it on the green and putts. Look at the British Open. I mean, this guy is a genius with a putter. And what wins golf tournaments? That's what wins. You cannot win. You cannot win a golf tournament without putting brilliantly. Young guys, practice your putting. Practice your chipping. Practice your bunker shots. Practice your wedges. Because that's what wins. I've heard you talk about how the most difficult thing to do in putting is to see the putter hit the name of the golf ball versus wanting to watch the ball roll into the hole. How could we do a better job of not being so anxious to see the ball go in the hole and instead focus on making a good strike and getting the putter face square to the target? Well, it's a little thing called practice. There's no shortcut to success in golf. Particularly as a young man today, you better think twice about being a professional because they're two million. And in China, all over Asia, these guys are out practicing the Western kids because the Western kids have television, a car, uh, air conditioning, three meals a day, food, mothers taking them to school in a car. And these other countries, they don't even have one of those things. And so they're hungry. Look at this. Look at the South Korea. How they're beating the American women at playing golf. I never thought I'd ever see that. I didn't think it was possible. They are the best players in the world because they're hungry. You see, you're not in this entitlement business is a bad thing. Nobody's entitled to anything, Chris. You've got to work hard. You've got to work your butt off in life to be successful. And you've got to exercise. And you've got to work on the mind. And there are a lot of things to becoming a champion golfer. Just hitting the ball is, is nothing. One last one, Mr. Player. And I had Ben Wright on the show with me a couple of nights ago. And I asked him about what it was like to interact with Clifford Roberts. And he talked about how much he respected Mr. Roberts, but he also feared him. And I've heard that a lot of people from that era talk about Mr. Roberts and how much they respected him, how tough he was, but also how much they sort of feared him as well. What was your relationship like with Mr. Roberts? Extremely good. He was always very kind to me. I never feared him at all. I don't think I've ever feared anybody in my life. I had great respect for him, and he ran a tournament with great discipline. And um, no, I had a lot of respect for him. So what do you think this weekend? Does Rory come back and win it, or is this Patrick Reed's time? Let me tell you something. Patrick Reed is swinging the club so well. He's a bulldog. He's tough. He, he's good at every aspect of the game. He's outstanding. Uh, there's nothing that he's not good at. But Rory picked Rory at the beginning of the week, and I picked two guys. 
Patrick Reed and Rory. So, so far, so good. But there's a long way to go. But, uh, you know, Rory, uh, he has the best golf swing in the world today. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. He needs this tournament to win the Grand Slam. Tiger Woods, I wanted to see do very well. And he has done well. This week wasn't that great. But you think how long he's been off and the difficulties that he encountered. I think he's done very well and he's making a good comback so far. And then you find the young Chinaman, Tong Lee. I'm just hoping he does well because if he can do well, China with 1.4 billion people, and they start, oh, they're winning medals in the Olympic Games, they're winning tournaments all over the world. It'll increase, and you've got to think of golf manufacturers, uh, golf courses being built. It's good for the industry, so uh, I'd like to see him do well. So... I always like to see somebody do well who's going to enhance the game. Well, Mr. Player, thank you so much for being generous with your time again this year and coming back on the show. It's always such a thrill for me to be able to spend some time with you. I hope we get the privilege of doing it again real soon. Did you watch Jack and I on the long driving competition? I did. Congratulations. Well, it's a great thrill because I exercise like crazy. And uh, I always pull Jack's leg and we have a lot of fun. And I outdrove him. I said, Jack, don't feel bad. You outdrove me for 40 years. I said, it's my <laughs> turn for the next 40. I'm sitting here watching Rory McIlroy. He is a weightlifting champion. And he's hitting the ball. He hit the drive today on number 11, 360 yards. Plus the fact that he has the most beautiful swing my listen to you, young guys, you learn to exercise properly. Don't exercise incorrectly and practice your short game. And have good manners. Go. Have good manners. And when somebody asks you how you are, say, fine, thank you, sir. How are you? Not just good. Important to do that and to actually have respect for their mothers and fathers. And at the same time, when somebody beats you, look them in the eye and say, well done, man. That's, all, that's outstanding advice, Mr. Players. I can't, I can't thank you enough for your time and for being here. You're certainly one of my favorite people on the planet. And I tell you what, you talk about eating and those sorts of things. When, I'm, when I go to eat something that I know I shouldn't, I actually hear your voice in my head saying, don't eat that, that's poison. <laughs> All right, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you, Mr. Player. Take care. Bye-bye.